0: GoneMobile.io, it's gone Mobile.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome back for another episode of gone Mobile. This episode is being recorded on October 1st, 2013. My name is Greg Shackles, and once again I'm joined here with John Dick, our, our favorite Canadian mobile developer. Hey. How are things up there this evening, John? Very fine, eh? No do to boot it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um... In this episode, we'll be talking to John Daniel Trask and Jeremy Boyd of Mindscape, discussing their error-reporting error tool called Raygun. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Good So, yeah, I, I said before that this is being recorded on October 1st, but you know, I guess as we talked about you guys are already well into October 2nd by now. You know, how, how is life up over there in the future?
2: Uh, it's good. We've got, you know, flying cars. You're a day behind. They've just come
1: out, but... Uh... No, that's awesome. Future guys have all the fun. Yeah,
2: it, it's it's a nice day over here, and and uh, obviously we're just winding up. You were saying it's uh, 10 p.m. there, and it's uh, it's 3 p.m. here, so uh, we've got another couple hours of work to do, and then uh, uh, home for the night.
1: Great. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out of the the busy workday to to talk with us. So, just to to kick things off a little bit, why don't you give our listeners, you know, a, a brief introduction to to who you guys are and what you're working on over there at Mindscape?
2: Okay. So, uh, Jeremy and I founded uh, Mindscape in 2007, and uh, we have built it up as a software products company, building software development tools um, up until about. Uh, 18 months ago, I guess, we were predominantly focused on building programming tools for .NET developers, and we have a range of about 10 products for them, and then we decided that we wanted to sort of widen our audience. Uh, We were seeing uh, more more and more programming languages becoming popular, and obviously mobile was taking off, and we thought, hey, how do we make sure that we're on this bandwagon? And so we decided to um, build a product that we could easily sort of make work with lots of different platforms and uh so we built raygun which was a is an error tracking service so you integrate a small component as a software developer and it reports any of the exceptions that occur whether they're um, unhandled by default but you can also send handled ones if you want and uh, we sort of group them up and sort of intelligently notify you about um, them so that we don't just spam your inbox and allow you to sort of manage those and have teams and and things like that to sort of improve the quality of software. Um, we have been, we've had that on the market for, well, since about February, I think, and it's been it's been going uh, great. So um, we're now across pretty much every major platform. Um, we have just today actually announced our uh, native Android provider is ready to go uh, for beta testing, and we've got a native iOS provider coming as well. So that that's kind of the very distilled history of six years of running a software company.
1: <laughs> that's great. So, so you mentioned that you're you're pretty much across all of the the major platforms that are out there. I mean, can you just kind of really quickly list those out?
2: Sure. So we're um, we obviously support .net so that our existing customers will uh, uh, can benefit from it. We also support Java, Node.js, .js, uh, Ruby, Ruby on Rails. Uh, we've got JavaScript. Python. Python. Uh, we've got support for uh, Xamarin, uh, Xamarin's iOS and Android um, platforms. Um, and, uh, PHP. PHP, yeah. We've Can't got forget. a native WordPress yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. As well. That's right. A plugin for WordPress to, to help those guys, are in still PHP underneath. But yeah, so yeah. That, <laughs> that kind of covers pretty much everything that's, uh, that's popular yeah. out there, I think. We probably missed some off, to be honest.
0: You you mentioned that you support Xamarin iOS and Xamarin Android, and then you also earlier mentioned you, you just started start chipping the native Android implementation. Now what's so what's the difference between the native implementations uh, and the existing stuff that you've got for Xamarin iOS and Android?
2: So the key difference there is that the Xamarin provider is in the Xamarin component store. Uh, you know, we've we've built it um, all using mono uh, ourselves so that, you know, it's all in C-sharp for people who want to have a look at that. Um, we've sort of wanted to make sure that it worked well within the Xamarin development tools, and we wanted to uh, actually kind of show our support for their platform as well, because uh, we have a lot of respect for, for the work they're doing. The, um, the native Android stuff, though, is because obviously not everybody's building um, Android apps using Xamarin tools, and, and the same Why with... Why uh, not? <laughs> well... <laughs> You know, we come from a we come from a C sharp background ourselves, and we would ask the same question. But uh, <laughs> no, it's the same story for why we'll also be building a native iOS provider. But uh, you know, it, we found the Xamarin tools is really
0: really good to work with, though. So there's no uh, functional difference then between the, the native providers and what you get in Xamarin. Uh,
2: no, not not really. I mean. It, the, the way that we've built the service, and I, I guess any of the other services out there that are similar, is that the, the plugin component is actually a relatively small piece of code. Um, we obviously need to make sure that it doesn't use much memory and that it can handle, you know, um, blocking the process from terminating or handle disconnected scenarios and things like that. But the providers themselves are relatively lightweight. Uh, A lot of the the real grunty work is going on behind the scenes uh, on the server side. Uh, And that's where Jeremy leads a lot of the the backend work to try and juggle millions and millions of exceptions um, in a nice performant manner.
1: That definitely sounds like an interesting problem to solve. Uh, I'm curious, since you guys are, you know, you you come from a C-sharp background and you were talking about, you know, you started off on the mobile side of bringing this into Xamarin, iOS and Android. Um, do do your providers for, for Xamarin share a lot of code with the the other .NET providers, or are they largely independent? I've, I'll let Jeremy answer this one.
3: <laughs> yeah, the, the um, Xamarin provider does share quite a lot of code with the standard .NET provider that we was, was the first one that we put out, and um, similar to uh, I guess when you, you know, you've got sort of the standard .NET framework that runs on desktop, and then you've got the Silverlight. Runtime, and you've got the Windows Phone Runtime, and you've got the Windows RT Runtime. We've kind of got flavors of the provider for those as well. And so uh, working with the Xamarin provider was similar to that. You know, we just sort of had to make a few adjustments um, to sort of cater for the information that's available in that environment and how you get access to that information. Um, But fundamentally, you know, the code is largely the same.
1: So... So, taking a step back from the, the technical part, like if um, let's say I'm a, I'm a new developer, I go to the, the Xamarin component Store and I, you know, I, I add Raygun to my project. Mm-hmm. Um, what's involved from there to go to go from adding it to my project to you know having errors being reported back to you guys?
3: Sure. So first off, you'd uh, you'd want to have an account set up, um, which is pretty simple. You just uh, go to raygun.io, sign up. Um, there's only a few fields to fill out, and you've got an account all ready to go. You then need to create an application, so uh, a bucket to hold your errors. So uh, that might just be your, your app name, or you might, um, a lot of people seem to uh, like splitting, um, have, have sort of one app for their kind of production um, environment, and one app for their, their development environment, one app for their testing environment. Once you've got an application set up in Raygun, um, we have an API key that's made fairly clearly available to you on the first screen, and that's the bit of information you kind of need to plug into the provider. So you start by initializing the provider, and you do that um, in your sort of um, main method uh, for your app, and so kind of like a bootstrap code, just um, set up a new Raygun client, provide the API key, um, and then wire up an exception handler. Um, to it so that whenever an exception is thrown, you can just um, send send that exception up to Raygun.
2: Yeah, those client libraries are pretty pretty simple to get up and running, and, and we've made sure that when somebody creates an app within uh, the raygun.io website, that it sort of says, hey, what, what platform are you targeting? And you could pick Xamarin, for example, and it would say, okay, you need to go here, do this, do mm-hmm. this, and then copy and paste this piece of code, and you're good to go. And uh, it's important to note as well that you can either get the component through the, the Xamarin component
3: Store, or you can use NuGet, um, it's all in there as well. Or if you're using Visual Studio uh, with the Xamarin tools, um, you know it's available through there as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. And and so so now I've got, I've got the Bootstrap code in my app, and you know I assume that you know the first step is that I would probably do is you know trigger some fake exception because I want to see. You know what it, what it looks like in the dashboard when I log in. Yep. Um, is there any kind of delay after that exception happens before it shows up in the tools, or is it kind of happen in, in real time?
2: It's pretty close to real time, typically maybe sort of five or so seconds um, probably for it to, to appear on the dashboard. We're constantly having to improve the back end though. Um, you know, for as we get more and more and more data, we've sort of had to just improve the processing speed and the way that we handle things. we I mean, I'll diverge from the, uh, from the script a little bit and tell you a story about when we very first launched uh, Raygun, we sort of queued up, you know, uh, messages as they came in. So the API would pick it up and put it on a queue. And everybody knows that sort of common development mantra, of you know, don't prematurely optimize, you ain't going to need it, all of that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And we kind of went, okay, well, that seems pretty sensible. So we made sure that the service could cope with, you know, say like 10 times our
3: own volume,
2: but you know, per user, and, and thought that
3: was probably yeah. Really we, good. we were running it over our own sites, uh, obviously while developing it, and uh, we had a, a couple that were reasonably high volume. So we thought, oh yeah, well, those those are high volume. Yeah, so let's just cater for, <laughs> for ten of those, and we'll be we'll be okay for yeah for a wee while. And so, and and, and for example, um, one of the things
2: with that was that one of those sites is a is a sort of content site, so a lot of the exceptions that were being thrown would just be spam bots and vulnerability hunters and all that. So it was a good good test. And so, anyway, we, we launched uh, our our sort of first preview version and uh, I think it was like user number two was a top ten Facebook game um, that generated millions of exceptions per hour and just absolutely we, we were like, holy moly, like this is a lot of data coming in. And so, um, you know, for example, we, we learned, you know, we, we quickly made sure that the service handled that, um, that was... You know, we're pretty effective at, at, at getting things done quickly, but we sort of upgraded the architecture a bit to sort of have a, a queue per app so that we're not, you know, if there's one noisy um, application generating a lot of errors, it won't make your error reporting slow down. So we kind of striped the queues so that, uh, you know, if, I, if I've written some horribly, horribly dodgy code and I'm spamming, you know, 10 million exceptions a minute, you're still going to see your error turn up within about you know 15 seconds or so. So yeah that was that was one of those
3: early fun times. Um, Good one to catch early really. It, <laughs> yeah it has remain uh, <coughs> remains scalable to this day so. <laughs> Yes.
1: Yeah, better to hit that on user 2 than user 200 or something. <laughs> That's sure. right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So so then kind of going from there, you know, what kind of data are you collecting from the apps? Like what, say an exception happens, you know, what what kind of metadata are you collecting?
3: yep so I mean the fundamental bit of information that's useful to a developer is is the stack trace you know where did this error occur um, and that that gives you you know most of the context that you need to get debugging. Um, the surrounding information um, to sort of accompany that stack trace are things like you know what was the what was the environment this was running in you know, what what was you know, what's the memory look like, what does the disk space look like. Um, if it's a web request you know what, what was that rep, web request what was requested what are the uh, server variables at the time you know, what was posted so just a bit more contextual information that's available in the environment and it obviously differs depending on the provider and the environment um, that the provider is running in um, and, and we, we sort of manage all that detection um, as part of the provider code but that that's what gets pushed up to our service and then we depending on what's sent up, we sort of conditionally display that information when you go to view an error through the site. We also
2: um, have provided since day one the ability to to attach custom data. Mm. And so you can structure that how you like, and there's also tags. So, for example, uh, one of our products integrates with Microsoft's Visual Studio. And, um, you know, as you can imagine, an IDE is uh, often fraught with challenges to integrate with because they're quite large code bases. And so we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, there weren't errors happening that were going unreported or we didn't want to make it difficult on ourselves to um, have to, well, and on our customers when they have a problem say, hey, what other extensions are you running inside your Visual Studio development environment? Because that was a common problem, was, was conflicts. And so Jeremy instrumented the, the product with Raygun and sort of attaches the uh, a list of all the other extensions that are running uh, inside their Visual Studio uh, Hive. And that way we can sort of look for commonalities and to go, okay, we will look, we're, we're noticing that now there's a new version of such and such a plugin, and that's now causing our product to crash. Um, and so we can put in some guards and quickly test it and turn around a fix really quickly. Uh, so the custom data is really useful. We are um, at the moment working through adding. Um, Affected uh, user tracking as well, so that's going to be allow you to say tag up your an exception with the currently logged in user or some sort of session ID or UUID of some sort and mobile and UUID sort of stuff. So that allows you to see yeah how many actual users are being impacted by the errors. So that's kind of the full the full range that goes in there. But uh, I think people generally um, find really useful that ability to tack on custom data because. That way it can be domain specific to, to their application.
1: Are you able to hook into any of the kind of the platform specific logging, like, like ADB in the case of Android or, you know, the normal console logging on iOS,
2: we are at the moment looking at
1: adding a generalized logging store.
2: We haven't got that in there at the moment, um, but it's definitely underway. We wanted to, one of the things is that, you know, relative to a a simple uh, log message, um, exceptions are actually kind of large by comparison, but they occur less than a log message, and so we're looking to build a sort of a separate backend for processing lots of smaller messages, and then correlating those messages back to, for example, a session. Or so you could say, for example, see an exception occur, and then go, all right, well here's all the log messages that led up to this point, sort of giving you a breadcrumb trail, if you will, to kind of go, hey. Yeah, something actually looked a bit weird in the logging three three log messages before, and then you know the app crashed. Okay, that that just helps give a bit more, but it's not in there today. Um, but we, we are working on that right now.
0: So you mentioned earlier that you sort of do some handling around grouping lots of exceptions together, so you're not spamming our emails and stuff when we're getting them. Um, how do you determine what kind of errors get grouped together, and how that all gets displayed?
2: <laughs> that, that is a good question, um, because it's quite a challenge to actually group those exceptions intelligently. Um, we have several different uh, grouping algorithms that we are using at the moment, and we're constantly sort of refining those. So when we very first uh, launched, we took a simple primitive approach of just kind of going, hey, look, the messages look the same. This fell down um, pretty quickly with the likes of, say, the Ruby on Rails provider where um, quite often messages would include a hash of the object and obviously that would change with every single error. And so we sort of made that smarter for for that one and we're constantly sort of experimenting with new new ways of uh, running the grouping. So, for example, looking at the stack trace, um, sometimes not looking at the message at all. Um, But, I mean, it's kind of... We've we've built the backend so that we can actually run a different pipeline for grouping depending on the language, because some languages just have certain characteristics that mean that their error information is not going to work with a, a standard grouping algorithm across all of them, and that's really something that we've worked hard on with the whole um, the whole platform. Is that we do obviously have some competitors in, in the space of error tracking, um, and what they typically do is they'll they'll target one specific platform and then usually have the community go and build a whole lot of plugins for their platform of choice. And that usually means that the, that the product doesn't work ideally for people that aren't on that chosen initial platform from the company. So we wanted to sort of provide first-class support. We do little things like, you know, in some... some this is a, just an example of a very small thing, but you know some platforms call it a stack trace and some platforms call it a back trace so we just you know we make sure we change labels and little things like that so that developer feels at home with uh, with Raygun no matter what language they're, they're choosing to use that we support so a lot of a lot of parts in the system actually are very dependent on what uh, what platform sent me this error, and that includes the grouping
0: so in a similar way of grouping things by the types of exceptions. Um, is there any way for developers to sort of create their own groupings? Like if I wanted to do something like staging uh, and production and sort of differentiating exceptions mm-hmm. that way?
3: Not currently, but it is something that uh, people have sort of contacted us about. And you know, we thought, yeah, that's, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, we are currently kind of working through lo- looking at how we can kind of extend uh, you know, the UI just sort of accommodate mm-hmm. that idea of allowing users to kind of customise how the groupings actually appear. Like, let's say, you know, as JD was sort of saying about the grouping algorithm, you know, it's unlikely we'll ever find a, a magic algorithm that suits everyone. So um, what, one of the ways of getting around that is allowing users to make their own decision after the fact of, all right, well, these two things are actually related and I want to deal with them as one, one particular problem if mean, if I see any of these any of these instances occur again um, I want to, you know, I'll know it's to do with this particular system so we are sort of working towards allowing users to 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 do that sort of uh, management of groups themselves you know merge groups together with them yeah like that.
2: if they choose to i mean mm-hmm. there's a great a great example of where this would become really powerful for example is with uh, JavaScript exceptions okay so you get a JavaScript exception come in, and that's a really common place to recognize that um, users are running different languages on their systems, because you will actually get two completely different looking error messages. And it's only because, for example, one might be uh, you know, generated from a machine in Japan, and one might be generated from a machine from America. And they're actually the exact same exception, it's just that the language changed. And so what we're thinking could be quite cool, for example, is that if users could Connect those two when they knew both the languages, and they saw that they were the same, and we could effectively crowdsource some of that um, behind the scenes to say, "Look, this is this is a really uh, this is the same error. You don't want to see these, and kind of wonder if that you've actually got two problems or one." Um, so there's things like that, that that we want to do, as Jeremy kind of alluded to. We, we put quite a lot of effort into trying to um, ensure that there's a great user experience with Reagan. Um and that has meant that there's a bunch of features where people are asking for them and we are doing work behind the scenes on it, but we probably won't release a feature unless we can really nail that user experience as well as the backend implementation of it. And things like expressing rules, uh, maybe using, you know, regex or properties of things, that gets kind of complicated and we don't want to just drop on a multi-line text box and say, you know, go nuts and hope it works out. Um, so quite, quite often, writing the code part's not really the hard part. It's how do we make it not suck for the user to have to deal with?
1: Well, everyone loves regular expressions. What could go wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so one thing I was wondering about, you know, in, in the, again, in the case of, of the Xamarin platforms for iOS and Android, you know, you kind of have these these two runtimes kind of, you know, bundled into one application. Um, did that guy did that give you guys any, any headaches or, or make things complicated for error processing?
2: Not really, no, to be honest. Uh we it's it's been fairly plain sailing really, uh, supporting Android and iOS through through the Samarin tools. Um you know, I think they've just just done a really great job with Watson, with so it hasn't hasn't been problematic. Perhaps we're gonna run it I mean Think we might run into some additional challenges when we do things like the generalized uh, log support, because there's obviously, as like, you point out, the, uh, the platform differences a bit more there. The idea of having an exception that you're that you're picking up is fairly sort of universal, mm. All
1: right? But you were you guys were able to pick up exceptions from kind of both sides of the the application, then so. Say in IOS you're able to pick up Objective C exceptions and there, .NET exceptions there, or there is one side. there is a
2: limit on the iOS side for how deep you can go to pull out those exceptions. So for example, I uh, don't believe you're picking up the the, the mark exceptions um, from from right down in the bowels of iOS. And that's part of the reason for building the, the native IOS provider. It may be and no, I, I can't comment on it because I'm not working on the native iOS provider. But it may be that we sort of uh, get that built and then wrap the Xamarin stuff over the top of that to give an interface to it to pick up those deeper exceptions that can occur.
1: So, what about on the the Android side of things? Do you have that problem, or is
2: we haven't we haven't seen as much um, issue there? Partly because the Android side is is you know, how do I put it. This is, this is probably just my conjecture. I didn't didn't do any work with the uh, Android bits, but. It's a platform that, you know, their predominant programming language is Java, you know, and it's very similar to .NET to begin with, um, you know, and therefore being able to sit over the top of how Android works is a bit more natural, if that makes sense, Um, unlike the unmanaged environment of of iOS, which is, you know, it's kind of a bit more challenging to get in there.
1: So, you know, speaking of, you know, challenges and kind of implications of, of what this kind of you know what this kind of framework would add to an app um, have you seen any real performance implications um, in applications that are running raygun behind the scenes
2: not really no i mean the setup for raygun really only attaches to uh, the unhandled event handlers by default um, and if you we, we always always provide an async option for sending messages so as to not block the application execution um, we also ensure that, for example, if we detect that a device is not connected to the internet, you know, like in airplane mode or something like that, we simply serialize the error down uh, to disk and then um, the next time the app starts and has a connection, it will send it off to the service. So really, I mean, there, there could be overhead where you block with an unhandled exception that was going to kill the app process anyway, but usually in the, the time that uh, the user's sitting there sort of swearing at your app for being you know, pretty crappy. <laughs>
1: um,
2: we've sort of gone off and sent the error anyway. Um,
3: yeah. the, the other thing that, um, uh, you know, to keep in mind is that because we're only dealing with exceptions, um, you know, th- this doesn't affect any sort of standard operation of the program that mm. we're dealing with. It's really just a case where oh, an exception has been thrown, which naturally has a performance cost anyway, mm. um, that we pick up and start doing some work. Yeah. So at that point, um, you know, Usually developers are very happy to make that trade of a tiny little bit of, of, of performance cost for their users for a whole lot of extra contextual information about what the problem is.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, like I say, when, when when your app hits the wall anyway, I mean, it's it's usually ground to a halt, and it's not a great experience mm-hmm. that, that's been to improve it. That's actually one area where we we been sort of doing some work on the Android side of things, is that... When uh, an exception occurs that's sort of going to take down the, the application itself, we can pass that off to a spawn service to actually complete the sending after the application process is terminated, um, which is something that's kind of nice there, rather than trying to block the app from actually ending and it's in its death throes yeah. to, to get the message away. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. So you talked about um, a lot about the mobile platforms and, and how you integrate with them, and and obviously you integrate with things like ASP.NET and other languages as well. Uh, do you offer any sort of API for developers to work with if you are if they're using something that you don't currently support?
3: Yep, absolutely. We, um, so the API is REST-based uh, and for sending errors up to the service if you just want to do it that way, which is totally fine. Ultimately, that's what all our providers do behind the scenes. Um, we, we publish the details of that um, on our provider page, on Reagan.io. So um, it's a very simple uh, REST interface uh, where we kind of provided a structure of what we expect to see. Um, a lot of the information is optional. So you know, if, you, if you are dealing with an environment that doesn't have, say, access to you know, memory uh, information, you don't need to send it. You know? At the end of the day, the, the critical thing that you know, you'd be wanting to send up is when did this error occur and what was the error. what was the message, you know, can you tell us about what class it occurred in, you know, is there a stack trace available, Um, that that, that sort of information, is that ultimately going to be useful to yourself? It's a pretty lenient um, API in
2: terms of what's required for you to send. Um, And uh, like I say, looking at building the native iOS stuff, um, you know, we... uh, We've, we add little bits and pieces to the API uh, from time to time to support unique things of different platforms. Um, if anybody was building against it for something that we didn't support, uh, we always, you know, we welcome getting in touch with us and having a chat about it um, to, to to use it. Yeah, which we have had a bunch of people in the community. For example, uh, one of the languages we missed out was. ColdFusion, um, you know, and we had a, had a chat built, build a Cold Fusion provider, um, and he sort of, you know, messaged us and popped into the office to actually find out a little bit more about our API back in the, the, the early days of the service when it wasn't as well documented. Um, but yeah, happy to work with people if they want to do some interesting bits on the site.
0: So uh, when is the BlackBerry support coming? <laughs> well, at the rate
2: we're
1: growing, we might just buy BlackBerry. <laughs> uh funny because it's true <laughs> um so one more question about the api so you so you mentioned being able to use the api to to push data back to you guys um can you also use it in the other direction so say if i wanted to just offload a lot of the the exception data that we've logged into raygun into our own system to correlate it or do whatever with it um can we use it for that as well
2: uh there's there's not a public read API uh, at present. Um, we we do actually have have an API there, but it's, it's not supported for people to actually use because we do change it from time to time. So we need to, um, we want to build a sort of reliable version public API interface. And equally, we want to be able to issue read API keys um, because we don't want people, you know, using the same write and read keys uh, all over the place because of it you know, gets uh, sort of compromised, you've got a problem with like, there's, there's quite often some sensitive information, uh, you know, in exceptions. Um, so we're working towards uh, bringing that out.
1: Cool. So you mentioned sensitive inf- information in there, and that's something that kind of piques my interest a little bit. So one of the, you know, one of the things I personally have to deal with is, uh, I mean, I work in, in the space of like online ordering and payments. So I end up dealing, we have to, you know, it's called PCI compliance yep. here where it's, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm sure you guys that are well. <laughs> familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, where, where do you where does Raygun stand as far as that kind of stuff goes? As far as you know, the security of the data, as well as you know, the kinds of things that you're you're committed to logging and not logging, for that matter. So, security. I mean, and it, it, it's a big big topic. Uh, so, f-
2: starting at, at the beginning of that topic, though, all communication between Raygun and your app. Uh, Is done over an HTTPS connection. So that's at least encrypted over the wire. Um, we also enforce HTTPS in the app so that, uh, you know, again, when you're pulling information down, it's, it's secured. Uh, we provide, um, I don't think we've rolled this into all providers, but the ability to filter certain things. So, for example, um, we don't want to, for, say, get the form value for a field called credit card or you know, password uh, being sent up and things like that. And a lot of programming languages will actually automatically filter some of that these days um, for you. Um, we, um, in terms of PCI compliance specifically, and we actually have had requests from a few different people, for example, there's a sort of equivalent security standards and privacy standards for the health sector. And we've had people in those those spaces kind of going, hey, can we use this? Then, uh, typically the, The situation they find themselves in is that they really need to be able to self-host RayGun if they want to use it to meet their requirements um, because they they are quite stringent requirements. And so our sort of advice to people who need to uh, meet those requirements at the moment is that RayGun probably shouldn't be used by them if they need need that level. But our plan is to, uh, to probably sometime in 2014 provide sort of a virtual image where for example, you could go, all right, well, I can take this and I can put it in my environment and I can, you know, make sure that uh, we're filtering the information so that that sensitive stuff's not going in there. We also make sure that we do things like, you know, properly tenant the data at our end to try and, you know, reduce any chance of accidentally giving one
3: user another user's data, things like that. But, uh, one thing that um, you can do at the provider level as well, I you know, Common request is um, you know, we have with people working in uh, government-based um, situations is you know they've they've got a privacy-related concern around what data might be sent up from a machine uh, is to just simply filter the information that's sent, sent up and as you mentioned Jada there are um, some of the providers do support this directly but for ones that don't um, one thing that's worth noting is all of the providers are actually open sourced on GitHub so you know if you've got a particular requirement. You can just pull down the source, make some modifications, and you know use that that provider. Um, you know, and, and certainly get in touch as well because you know um, we're, we're always keen to understand more about how people are needing to use those providers. You know, if there's anything we can sort of bake into the providers more generally, like like those filtered properties, to, to help make it easier, so you don't have to diverge the code base and, and, and go yeah. your own way. Uh, but yeah. we do know a number of people who are in very locked down environments. Have gone down that route, and they have, you know, that, that's worked well for them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the
2: open source providers have actually been uh, really interesting um, for us in seeing that, you know, some of the languages, in particular, uh, Rails, for example, Ruby and Rails attracts, you know, pull requests from the community, sort of going, "Hey, this will add support for this, or can we, you know, tighten this piece up?" And, and that's been really good to, to sort of have that, that whole community engagement going on.
1: That sounds great. So, so one other thing that I was wondering is, you know, you you guys have this this steady connection, well, maybe not steady because you're only doing it, you know, when exceptions occur, but you you have this this known connection between the application running on a device and your server. And do you have any plans as of now to to kind of exploit that, well, maybe exploit is the wrong word, but, you know, leverage that a, a little bit more for for things like analytics or for anything like that? Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, we
2: we we we're aware that you know it, it puts us in a, in an interesting position to be in in people's code, um, and we do have users that are asking for that sort of stuff, and we've been um, prototyping bits and pieces uh, internally, and we we to to be honest, you know, I mean, I have a I have a programming background, but I I don't really do much programming anymore. Jeremy does a whole lot of programming, and, and some of that stuff is really, really cool, and I'm really looking forward to uh, getting that out uh, in the next few months for uh, game users to, to sort of start to see some some really great stuff.
0: Yeah, I was already thinking of intentionally throwing a bunch of exceptions just to get some data in there uh, for analytic purposes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm one of those developers that claims he's intentionally sending uh, exceptions as well. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I, was, I actually I was making the joke on Twitter yesterday that nothing makes me feel like I'm actually not that bad of a programmer uh, than running an error reporting service and seeing just how many exceptions are getting thrown from some applications. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, you know, we have nice big dashboards in, in our office sort of showing real time load and, you know, queue lengths and how fast we're processing exceptions and all of that. And it's like, man, there's some really buggy things
1: out there. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess that's the uh the side effect of knowing a little too much about what's going on behind the scenes for you guys. Well, I, I mean again as
2: a as an interesting story and, and on our path of dealing with more and more data. Um we had a single application generating four megabytes per second of error data just, just flowing in on S- the start, sustained for yeah, a very long period. For for days and it was like, hmm. okay, that's uh it's not that good.
1: <laughs> uh. That would, so that app is probably tearing through someone's data plan. Yeah, well. <laughs>
3: well, yeah, I mean, without going into particular details, often what we find is, you know, you you certainly get these situations where, um, you know, you get these high-volume sites that just have an issue somewhere that's consistent and, and this happens on every request, yeah. and all of a sudden you get you get a pretty good appreciation of how many hits the site is getting. Yeah. It's just generating an error each time every time it loads. And yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So you're collecting air logs, air uh, exceptions, and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's obviously fairly closely related to, say, uh, bug management systems or, or tracking systems of that sort. Do you have any integration with uh, systems like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's actually was um, it was a common sort of request early on. Was while well, some yeah, of just, the, request,
3: the request was generally, hey, can you turn this into an issue
2: management system? Yeah, people saying, can I just make a new <laughs> bug? From the user interface, and can I get custom states, and can I assign them to people? It was like, yeah, we're not building an issue tracker yet. Um, so we we sort of went out, and we wanted to integrate uh, with the terrific um, sort of issue trackers that are already out there, and so and also with other tools that teams use. So we, for example, used uh, HipChat from Atlassian internally here at Mindscape. So that was our first integration, so that we could see errors in the sort of team chat. Uh, and we now also support uh, Jira from Atlassian as an issue tracker. We integrate with that, so when you have an error, you can either um, connect it to an existing issue or create a new issue directly from the Raygun user interface. Um, we also support Fog Bugs and Sprintly U-track. And U-Track from JetBrains, and we've got there's there's quite a few, and there's a bunch more under development as well um, that are all in there, and so. People that that seems to have sort of slowed the demand that we morph into an issue tracker ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know that those issue trackers are all,
3: all pretty rock solid. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, yeah. So I mean the intention there is really just to, to give you that kind of extra bit of context as you're working through resolving something that hey oh I'm tracking this and this this, this probably relates to this uh, issue that was raised from a user over here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, just just providing that kind of lightweight connection between the two two things. GitHub
2: issues is the other one that we.
3: Of, of course, we, we, yeah. we can connect. Of course,
2: community. because we can actually add more no issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we also allow like commenting on uh, error groups as well. So you can actually get a timeline of the full history of a unique um, error that's been occurring and sort of have team discussions. And we sort of noticed that uh, early on when we first put in the commenting systems is that people were sort of putting links into their issue trackers, which was why we thought, okay, well, if we can put a nice icon. Oh, and Trello. Yeah, you know, we also integrate with Trello. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty well fleshed out now for that sort of management of errors side of things, and that's why now we're looking at those things like metrics and a, a read API and, and just polishing off
3: those other two platforms. Yep, and we certainly uh, welcome any suggestions for uh, other integrations we can make with the product. Yeah. As, uh, you know, as developers ourselves, we certainly know how, you know how good it is to have your tools kind of working together. Uh, you, know, just, you know, just gives you that extra bit of productivity that you always like. Yeah, well, and we always sort of see those
2: integrations, um, even just from our own experiences, sort of improving the value where it becomes more than the sum of the parts. You know, if you can get your error, uh, errors happening, coming into something like a hip chat with your team, you know, that, that makes hip chat more valuable, uh, makes Raygun more valuable, all that sort of stuff.
1: So are those integrations something that happens have to come from your side right now, or are you exposing any kind of web hooks or anything like that, where you know I was as a developer would be able to write my own integrations? So web hooks are coming. Um, we will have that as a as an integration type, and then you can just sort of register your
2: own endpoint. Um, because yeah, there's you know we <laughs> there's there's tens of thousands of things we could integrate with, um, and people are really exactly for, <laughs> yeah if we could if we could outsource that to to people who we want to support whatever they want, that would be,
1: that'd be great. So kind of jumping back to the, the dashboard side of things for a second, um, like what, so if I'm a user and I log into the, the Raygun dashboard and I'm, you know, looking at the the error reports, you know, what kind of experience am I getting? Like, how is the, the data filtered up to me as a user?
2: So for for the people listening, the way that the the Raygun dashboard looks is that you have a a graph at the top that sort of shows you the overall uh, count of errors over time that have been occurring um, within your app. That's actual error instances, not error groups. And so that kind of gives you a nice visual on how things are going. And you can then filter that that graph as well. Um, So below the graph is a list of the unique error groups ordered by default by when they last occurred, so the top of the list is sort of showing you uh, you what the most recent error was and that's where the the sort of scrubbing that you can do on the graph above uh, works really nicely, so you can actually sort of say, hey, you know, there was this spike last week, let me drill in on that, and that will filter the list below. Uh, You can also sort the the list below based on the occurrence count, the last occurred, message of so decide. And you can also adjust that the, the, the state of any of those groups. So, we have, um, I think it's effectively four states uh, in Raygun, which is um, an active error, that's something that you haven't dealt with yet, a resolved error, which is something that you have you know, deployed a fix that you think is fixed. Uh, we have ignore, which is, you know, you've sent your test error message, and, you know, you're just going to hide that, you don't want to deal with it anymore. And then permanently ignore and permanently ignore actually has been a pretty hit feature that I didn't, <laughs> didn't really think would <laughs> would be such a big deal to people. But, you know, for example, when you do have spam bots or things trying to find, you know, WordPress vulnerable files and things where you're not even a WordPress site, hit permanently ignore. You'll never see us talk about that again. You won't get an email about it. And It allows you to sort of really manage uh, what areas you do want to deal with. So that, that's kind of what's going on there. In terms of, you know, that's really just everything in the app. So it's up to you to choose to filter that. And, um, you know, we are, again, working on a UI for some more advanced filtering. So being able to say, hey, just show me the, the, uh, any of the error groups that are, have occurred in such and such a version or, uh, you know, occurred on this server or are related to this page or, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that. So, Jeremy had actually done a lot of work on making that, uh, that whole dashboard sing and dance um, for manipulating that data uh, as it is now, because we have you know, tens of millions of error messages in there and you know, it needs to be able to filter and, and, and time limit all of that really quickly. So, uh, that's now meant that the back end's ready for more advanced filtering to, to come up once we nail that UI.
1: All right. so if I'm not mistaken, Raygun is a, it's a paid product too, right? So can you speak a little to you know what kind of different pricing levels you have?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, the the pricing levels are uh, fourteen dollars for the um, effectively the the micro account. So that's for one application. We we did only just recently um, alter the prices, um, and then it's thirty nine. Uh, dollars for a, a small plan. So a small plan means up to five applications being monitored and it also retains the data longer and it, it allows you to do searching and it also gives you the integration with the issue trackers and, and all of that goodness. There's a $99 plan, which is for unlimited applications, more data being stored, more data retention, um, and then there's a, a $199 plan that's uh, got a lot more data capacity in there uh, for people, and then, of course it, if you know again, if you 're a top ten Facebook game, you know, get in touch and we'll put <laughs> together a, a special plan for you um, so really, early on, it's sort of differentiated on app count, and then at the higher level it 's just really how much data you want to be sending in and how long you want to retain that for All
1: right so so then how long in the plans that you do have, what kind of data retention lengths do you offer right now so the
2: the, the cheapest plan. Um, it's a seven day period and that's great for people with things like a side project um, or uh, you know just wanting to give it an extended trial or something like that then the the next plan goes uh, I think it's 30 days from from memory and then uh, 90 days and then 180 days for the, the top tier plan so Um, It varies depending to what, you know, it lends itself nicely to the size of the organization as well, because quite often, um, you know, a developer will be somebody who will typically fix something relatively quickly when it comes up as a surprise, so they don't usually need that long of a retention period, but, you know, perhaps the dev manager or QA team want to sort of see that trend graph on how things have been going over the last month, Um, you know, are things improving, Uh, that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. so...
1: Are there any features um, that you think we should definitely call out that that Raygun supports right now that we've kind of missed so far?
2: One thing I, I would share, um, only because is it back in the bad old days before before we started Mindscape, I used to work for well, we both used to work for the same IT services company, and what we always found was that you know diligent software developers would do things like send themselves a a, you know, a stack trace and an error message when an unhandled exception occurred. And that was all well and good, except for when there was a huge volume of errors. And I sort of hinted at this earlier that we don't send an email for every single error that occurs. So what we do is, let's say we we encounter an error for the first time, we send you an email and say, hey, you know, we've just seen that this error. Here's the message in it. What do you want to do? We have links directly in the email to allow you to adjust, you know, if you want to permanently ignore it right then and there, or or whatever you want to do. Then what we do is, part of our data processing is that if the second error comes through, you know, like five seconds later, we don't send you an error, uh, an email saying, hey, it happened again. Um, What we do is we actually sort of go, hey, a minute later, um, how many times has it occurred? And we send you another thing saying, hey, you know, Greg, this is still, still happening. Um, and it's happened, you know, nine hundred and forty thousand times in the last minute. This is not really looking too flash. Um, and then we we effectively just sort of, almost sort of on an exponential scale, just increase that time to so a five minute window, ten minute window, thirty minute window, and I think the the large yeah, one is right. an hour. But um, that way, your inbox isn't getting thoroughly trashed just because the, the you know your your application is having a problem. Um, and it allows it to be manageable because what sort of reflecting back to, to the days when I was back at the services company, and to a degree, you know, we, we, we used to just manage the Mindscape site this way, and I would start sort of almost um, not paying attention to the error emails because I was so used to junk ones from spam bots and that, and there was no way to permanently ignore them without perhaps setting up email rules. And so I would sit there and just, you know, delete, 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 and and you could easily skip past one that was going, oh, the the credit card processing service has failed, you know, and that's actually Mm -hmm. costing us money now. Um, So it's really about getting in, we we sort of put a lot of thought into that developer workflow, not overloading your inbox, because like it or not, we all tend to use our inbox as a de facto to-do list, you know, and uh, trying to make it so we didn't desensitize people to... Um, error messages by allowing them to permanently ignore the ones that were junk and actually effectively train the system to only really tell them about important messages. So I think that's a a pretty big win um, uh, for developers and organizations with developers. Oh, and we also have uh, organization support. So if you guys are familiar with, say, GitHub, when they have teams and being able to manage the teams and things like that, so we've got that for uh, larger customers who want to sort of you know uh, manage their teams and apply a whole team at a time to an application and we've seen some really great uh, IT companies particularly services companies that have a lot of different clients where they'll actually invite their client in on one of those teams so the client can actually see the dashboard and Raygun and kind of go oh okay we, we can actually see what's going on here and I've always thought that that's really quite commendable because you know I know plenty of developers that would much rather just hide the fact errors were happening and, and not acknowledge them let alone invite the client to, to see what was going on in real time <laughs> um, but yeah that's been a useful management tool for
0: for our, our customers so uh, what's next for you guys well
2: we're pretty we're pretty focused on Raygun at the moment and uh, like I say the the metric stuff and really just to of nailing the the native providers for Android and iOS and you know at the end of the day that We we named the product Raygun because we thought it was cool, but uh, it's also because it's an evolving service It's not going to just stay an error tracker You know, we think that there's a whole lot more that can be done in this space and so uh, we're continually working on on improvements um, But for the product for our for our customers
1: um, that sounds great. So I think uh, that makes for a pretty good stopping point, unless you guys have anything else you want to add. But uh, definitely want to thank you guys for coming on the show, taking you know valuable time out of your, out of your busy workday over there. You guys are doing a lot of work for sure. Um, and, and thanks for coming on and talking about Raygun. This is awesome.
3: Thanks for having us. It's been great.